And what's going on? Here we are one more time on the Sports Queue. We're of legal age now, 21, episode number 21. Here we are, CG, joined by Texas Mike for another episode. What's going on, my brother? How are you? Man, life is great here in the Lone Star State. I cannot complain. Uh, super happy, ecstatic on this nice 80-something degree day in the beautiful city of Houston. How's it going up there, bud? Everything is good. Are you walking everywhere, public transit? Are you uh, are you uh, saving a little bit on the mileage as far as how you're getting to and from? But uh, <laughs> not get, not jumping into the, to the pool too much here. But I've changed my pattern a little bit. I've took a little train action, finding other ways to, you know, kind of cut back a little on the travel and the distance and save a little. Well, Houston's impossible. Our public transit is uh, <laughs> something to bemoan here, but it's uh, I'm lucky in the sense that I, I get to work from home most of the time, so I don't drive too much. It's it's not too bad. <laughs> East Coast wins on public transit, I think, by far. I think anywhere in the country, as far as being able to get around trains and stuff like that, East Coast does it extremely well. Hey, don't forget, guys, to hit up, uh, subscribe, follow us on our social media channels, but also follow us and hit that subscribe button on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you find the Sports Queue here with episode number 21 as we continue on with the show. You got to talk about it. It leads. We're going to talk about this in the second segment as well. Mike, when you take a look at Deshaun Watson and what this means, you're in Houston, so it, it's always ha- it always has that Houston connection because you're living it. You watch it. You're a fan. This move had to be done. Obviously surprising a ton of people at the money that he ended up getting in that deal. But even hidden in there... Houston gets a nice grab. I mean, for the trade, it you, you end up getting what you probably needed anyway. You definitely it felt like the best offer that could be on the table. And now you move on. Now both both parties move on from that. And Houston, dare I say, has a chance now with these draft picks that they do things the right way as far as the players that they evaluate and bring in. Maybe this whole rebuild happens a little bit quicker than maybe – you first thought as a Houston Texans fan. Is there promise based off of this move? Chris, I think you hit the nail on the head with this. It's about acquiring draft capital if you're the Houston Texans. The Houston Texans are at least two years away from really having an opportunity to to make a run and get back into the playoff scenario. I mean, let's go through the draft capital they received for Deshaun Watson. They gave up a 2024 six-rounder. Obviously, Deshaun goes over to the Browns. But here's what I like about this. 2022 first-rounder, number 13. 2023 first-rounder. 2024 first-rounder. Let's throw in a 2022 fourth, a 2023 third, and a 2024 fourth. I would give the Houston Texans, if we were just going to grade this preliminarily without seeing who they end up picking up, that's a win for them. I mean, we don't want to rehash the situation with the civil lawsuits, but obviously Cleveland was willing to take that risk by guaranteeing the contract fully, uh, $237 million. So I give both sides an A, really, because if Deshaun gets back to his prior form and Cleveland starts rocking, they have the receivers, they have guys that can catch the ball and, and move it down the field. But as far as the Texans go, it's it's going to be a long process. You know, I, I don't think in this draft that they should maybe dabble in the quarterback realm. It's To me, it appears to be a weak class. You saw improvement from Davis Mills, and I, I would ride that out at least for this season. But it's, you know, it's, it's the money ball approach. You're seeing a lot of franchises do it. Draft capital is king. So, you know, I, I'm I'm proud of Nick Casario. Uh, I, I didn't think he could maybe get this haul because of the legal situation, but he did, and good for him. It almost feels like the movie Draft Day. I don't know if you caught it, but it, co- it covers Sonny Weaver Jr. and Kevin Costner in that role, and he trades away three first-round draft picks and then three second-round draft picks in the first three rounds uh, to, to a different team in order to be able to secure a quarterback. So it, it's kind of funny to see that that – actually was the Browns that were making that trade in that movie. But um, real quick, draft-wise, where do you think the Texans are going to go with some of these picks? Bryce Young is going to end up being probably one of the more coveted quarterbacks, as you see in the next couple of years, based off of where he's playing, based off of the notoriety, the fact that he already won a Heisman, uh, and he's going to have that hype behind him. 
as far as other quarterbacks we might have seen in college football, I think some of these guys are going to emerge. Whether this is a weaker draft class, it's possible. I think we end up sometimes we look at draft classes and we think, wow, there's not really going to be much that's going to come out of it. And then all of a sudden you do end up finding some really talented players at that position. Uh, I think the quarterback position, and we'll talk about this in our second segment, is vital to – I'm not surprising anybody by saying vital to the success, but there's some, there's some definite – um, correlation, I think, to Super Bowls and how you get your quarterback and, and that whole thing. Um, where are the Texans going to go with their first pick, though, before we move on to the next topic? You know, it'll be tough. I think Aiden Hutchinson goes off the board. I, If I was running the draft for the first Texans pick at number three, what I would like to see is them to go best available O-line. Is that Evan Neal? Is that the tackle from North Carolina State? I don't know yet. I haven't quite got into the deep dive. I'm starting to feel that momentum of the draft. We're going to have a draft party over here at the Casa here, and uh, it should be uh, very interesting. Uh, I would like to see them go in that direction with number three O-line at number 13. I wouldn't even care if the Texans trade back at number three, but even even 13 would maybe be a slot to trade back. I mean, they're, they're devoid of talent in so many areas. They don't have a running back. They, they just don't have very much, you know, their best player is probably Brandon Cooks right now. So they, they need upgrades across the board at number 13, probably just look for best available defensive player uh, or even offensive player. I mean, it really doesn't matter. You know, it's it, when the cupboard is this empty, you got to stock it. Makes a lot of sense in a draft party at your house for the draft. That already seems like a win for the Texans fans out there. Feels like there's some promise, maybe some excitement on where the franchise is going to go. We'll see what happens there. And we're going to talk about the draft uh, in our second segment. So make sure you guys stick around. Let's talk about some bracket busters. Let's talk about some March Madness. We're right in the, the heat of it. This has been wild. This has been crazy. It goes to show you that in college basketball right now, really any any university I think can win. I think you're noticing the the days of the, now, as I say that we still have some of the, the blue bloods, your Dukes and your North Carolinas and ACC teams, but you're starting to see these other programs emerge. There's no question about it. Let's talk about some of the early rounds. Were there any surprises bracket buster wise? We'll get into St. Pete's and we'll talk about them plenty as they continue their run. But uh, where, where did you see early on? Michigan stood out right away. They end up beating Colorado State. You saw Jawan Howard come back. He starts getting them rolling. It seems like he knows how to put it together and get it done when you get into tournament time. Uh, Baylor was dominating. Gonzaga was dominating early on. Uh, You saw some of these early matchups. St. Mary's really trounced Indiana in that spot. Um, UCLA got the job done. Anything that really jumped out to you? And I guess we do have to hit on St. Pete's because they did happen in that first round. So we'll talk about them in a moment. But anything outside of that bracket buster wise that kind of surprised you early on in the tournament? Yeah, a team that I really liked and picked to make it all the way to the title game was Auburn. I, I thought Auburn with Jabari Smith and company, they, they had the athleticism, the, the speed, the guard play. They seem to have the total package, and they've run into a buzzsaw. You know, the U, the Miami Hurricanes. Look at them sitting here now in the Elite Eight facing off against Kansas, and their guard play has been very good too. If, if anybody out there plays uh, college basketball, DFS, the Miami guards are guys you want to jump on. So uh, that that was very surprising for me. Obviously, the St. Peter's run, that – that is the stuff of legends, you know, watching coach Holloway do it again, you know, back as a coach when he was a player at two in 2000 for Seton Hall, getting them this far. I mean, this is, this is awesome. It, it's the stuff of legends, you know, Let's talk about disappointing teams, though, in these early rounds. I mean, there's been some programs that have been a touch disappointing. Has Iowa for the most part felt like a team that's been a little bit disappointing when it comes to tournament time for you? Absolutely. You know, uh, they lost Luca Garza, obviously, but they still have Jordan Bohannon, their point guard. He's, I think, the all-time leader in games played in in the Big Ten. And they had the infrastructure there with, with, with how they're set up, and they didn't lose that much talent besides Luca, and, and they just fall flat on their face. I was a team that I would 
you know, if I was just looking at it from a power rankings perspective that I would figure would be solid. And here they go again, choking away, just like my LSU Tigers did. Can't get outside of that topic without talking about Gonzaga. Is it the quality of opponents that they're facing during the regular season that just continues to make them look? This is look at Mark Few has put together a fantastic program there. He has done more for Gonzaga is not that big. It's not that big of a university. If people have ever kind of taken a look at the school and just the facility and everything that they got, it's all about the basketball team. There's no question about that. But based on the conference they play in, they're always going to be in this situation where you have this conversation every year because he's going to have the quality type, even NBA type caliber player that can succeed and excel at the highest level. But when they start facing some really tough is it is it is it easier to say tougher opponents or just teams that have been through a few more battles with a more quality schedule, better opponents throughout the season? Is that what they run into? That they maybe lose a little bit of that moxie when they get into these sweet 16 it seems like that sweet 16 elite eight it's always like is gonzaga gonna kind of get out of this moment yeah i've seen it live in the past here in houston in the regionals you know coming out of the west coast conference gonzaga i've always been intrigued with them i mean just historically back in 1998 we remember when dan dickow and crew put them on the map and they made an elite eight run you know the west coast conference i i think the play has elevated a little bit you have university of san francisco you have saint mary's that are teams that are perpetually in the hunt to make the tournament but th- th- there's no excuse here they just choked i'm sorry like you got drew timmy you got nebhard you got all these good players but you run into the arkansas razorbacks and this is something that i said the last time we talked about college basketball the sec is way up compared to what it's been historically. The SEC is a very solid league right now. Let me ask you something on that point. Is it because we've seen the rise in the football program so much that they've basically given them even more of an opportunity and a capability to not even not only draw attention to their brand, but to now go out and be able to recruit some of those top players and say, look, we're Arkansas. You know, maybe they know us as a basketball or a football school, but at one time with Nolan Richardson, we were a very strong, you know, basketball product. We're getting back to that. You bring in Eric Musselman, the guy has proven, I mean, you start talking about successors to some of these really big jobs. I don't know how Eric Musselman doesn't get into the conversation with you for you at some point. Um, but is it that, is that what's helping the SEC grow from quality, well-rounded quality programs uh, from their college basketball? Well, absolutely. I mean, historically, Kentucky obviously has been the dominant program in the SEC. They have more titles than the rest of the SEC combined. But you're right. The good corollary there with the football situation is you have tremendous revenue coming in. You have tremendous exposure. Now you can pay the better coaches. When you can pay the better coaches those salaries, you get the better players. And these are, you know, these are big flagship state schools that people want to go to. I mean, at the end of the day, it's 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 a pretty cool as somebody that's a graduate of an SEC school when you're on campus. I mean, I, I can imagine that life as a baller there is pretty fun. Is it finding the quality players or knowing what to do with the quality players when you get it? Because Georgetown has had a very top recruiting class as well. Patrick Ewing, legend at Georgetown, he's been able to get the players to come. They just haven't been able to put it together. So you get them on the campus, you start putting those programs together. Now you have to be able to utilize the talent. Is that what separates really good coaches from kind of staying in the same lane for some time coaches at the collegiate level yeah i mean development's key you know the, the days of the fab five where you're going to get you know five of the 15 top 15 players in the country coming over and, and, and rolling the ball out and seeing what happens are over development is key in college basketball you know you have the one and done element essentially and then the programs i i think so much of a success in the tournament conference tournament conference play is basically having efficient guard play. Like I, I saw with LSU many times they, they started out strong this year. That's the team I follow the most closely and actually their best start ever. But what would seem to happen was in the close games, they would choke because the guard play once Xavier Pinson was, was injured was substandard and you go the way that your guards go. I think in the tournament, I, I've always stood by that. Now, nobody might be happier than John Calipari for this run by the Peacocks of uh, Jersey City, St. Peter's, in the fact that 
you know, I think if you lose to a 15 and it's that first round game and then they get, you know, blown out in the next game where they lose in a tight one or whatnot, I think you remember that upset a lot more. But the fact that they've now gone on and they've got a shot at the final four, it almost makes that kind of quiet down a little bit because it says, okay, this is a quality basketball team. Yeah, they might have been a 15 seed, but these guys, they've been on a run and look at what they continue to do to many of these universities now. So yes, it was an upset on paper. Yes, you're going to look at that number, but you almost don't think about it as much. Is that is that weird to think about? Because I I I I think it I think it quiets the Calipari because immediately after the reaction was Calipari makes nine million a year. He lost to a school where they got, you know, look at their gym. They got they don't have the same type of of facilities, anything close to, you know, the concession stands might look nicer. And this is not a knock on St. Peter's. It's just, it's just, you, you've seen the pictures of the university. It's a smaller school. Does it quiet it down because they've made this huge run? I think it does because when, when you get to this point, you have belief and you're a good team. You don't get to the elite eight with a bunch of scrubs. It doesn't matter if you came out of the, you know, the Metro Athletic Conference or you came out of the Big Ten or the SEC. You're, you're a good team. You get this far. And almost the pressure's off because you become the public, the public figure. I mean, facing off against North Carolina next round in North Carolina is also – we could go – we could do a whole three-hour podcast about North Carolina basketball if we wanted to. But when you got a St. Peter's taking on North Carolina, it's – I mean, it's the stuff of legends if they win. I mean, it would be just so amazing. You know, I, I the run that, to me, I, I I got to see so much of that tournament, enjoyed it. And you remember back in 2006 when when George Mason made that run to the Final Four. And and, and they took down higher-seeded teams. And, and, and in their bracket case, if I remember correctly, they they were knocking down the number one, the number two. It wasn't, you know, where the, the bracket was a little bit turned upside its head from upsets early and maybe they got an easier road. No, they've just been plowing through people. Speaking and, of George Mason, think about who their coach was at the time. And now he's shown that he was able to take not only George Mason uh, to this highest level, but now he's doing it at Miami. Jim Laranaga, he's got them playing against Kansas. Let's talk about some of the matchups before uh, we get into some of those elite eight matchups. And let me start with Saturday games that are be coming up. Not sure when people are going to listen. Uh, probably these games are going to be over, actually, by the time people listen, once we get these episodes up. But Houston Villanova, what were you thinking there? You know, being here locally, I want Houston to win. They are a 3-and-D team with Calvin Sampson. I, I always loved Calvin Sampson when he was assistant coach on the Rockets. I thought he brought a lot to the table. I thought it was absolutely brilliant of uh, the University of Houston administration to bring him in when they're opening up the Tillman Fertitta Center, and which is a beautiful venue. Uh, it's, a, it's a small venue, but it's really well done. It's a great place to see hoops. But – I don't know. It's hard for me to go against Villanova. There's so much track record there. I mean, you're up there in Philly. They're out there on the main line. I mean, Jay Wright, he's he's the man. You want to talk Houston, about developing players. <laughs> Houston favored in that matchup, though, over a two-seat. I, I, I don't. I see why they're doing it, because that shutdown defense, you know, they have Edwards, they have Shear. They have some guys that, that can do it all. But I don't know. It's... I want Houston to win. I just have this feeling that Villanova, if I'm going to take an upset as far as from the books makers, I'm going to go with the dog Villanova because they find a way. The, the track record is there. Pig Suey against the Blue Devils, talking about Arkansas and Duke. Uh, does Coach K continue this run? It seems like it's a magical run for him as well on his goodbye tour. If this man ends up in the national championship game, this is going to be... <laughs> the biggest story uh, on any kind of sports show broadcast uh, with people that can't stand Duke and hate coach K and the people that um, can't stand him, but respect him. And the people that uh, really just watch in awe of what this man has done uh, at Duke university. Does Duke continue their run and they take down the uh, Razorbacks? Chris? Yes. I, I would put myself in the camp on coach K where I can't stand Duke but I have immense respect for Coach K and his body of work. And since this is his last run, as much as I despise Duke, I mean, you looked at his last game at Cameron. Did you see the, the list of players that were attending there? It's like the all-annoying team. I mean, guys that just going back all the way to the 80s, like, that guy's annoying. I can't stand that guy. 
that guy was a prick, and now we are here, and Coach K is probably going to get to the Final Four. I mean, don't discount the Razorbacks. And like I said, the, the SEC has been a good breeding ground for it. But, you know, Dukes, you know, they got Banchero. They have the solid players. So I'm going to pick Duke on that one. The all-annoying team. I like that. From a wagering standpoint, if you took a look at it, four-point favorite Duke. I would take that. Miami and Kansas. Miami's going to take on number one ranked or number one seed. Are they the only number one left? They're the only number one left there in Kansas. Uh, Kansas just continues to kind of just click all the boxes, right? There's, I don't, they're not really jumping off the page to anybody, but they just continue to do the work that they do. Bill Self has got them continuing to sit right at the top of, of Kansas basketball on that level. Um, Miami, a 10 seed comes in. Kansas at a six point favorite. This smells like an upset to me for some reason. This this just has the look. It has the appeal of UC, and these games are going to be on Sunday. So we're going to do our best to get this episode up tonight because I want people to listen to it. But the Saturday slate of games, when you talk about two fours and two fives, I think if those run kind of formful, this, this Miami-Kansas game, it's going to be kind of the forgotten game because this is the going to be the game that leads into uh, the last game that we're going to talk about. It's played at 2.20 local time. This just has a feel of something wild happening here. I agree, Chris. I, I'm taking the Miami Hurricanes and Jim Are Brady you really? Are you yeah. really? Yes, Kansas. We've seen Kansas choke in this spot. Man, I'm telling times. you, I'm telling you, that's exactly where I'm at on it. It just, it, it just seems, you know, who, who are the guys really jumping off the page for you? And Miami is quietly as a ten seed, kind of just continued to do this. And Larinaga knows what to do in this exact type of situation that he's not going to back down from Bill Self in this spot. No, he, he's not, and, and he's got the horses to run with Kansas if it, if it becomes an up-tempo skill game. And, you know, I'm not going to discount Kansas. Their body of work speaks for itself. I mean, they're, they're a good team. You know, they might even be a great team. Who knows? But Miami is the buzzsaw right now, and they're, they're, they're going to chop up. The Jayhawks are going down. I hate to say it, but it, that's I think that's what's going to happen. Jim Larinaga comes back to the Final Four in 2022. Closing things out, the Cinderella, the 15 seed, can they somehow, some way, eight and a half point dog in this spot? North Carolina was an eight seed, so it's, it's not like they're facing a number one or number two. They've beaten them all, but North Carolina is an eight. They play the St. Peter's Peacocks. Can St. Peter's, do they have one more in them? to get to the final four. I think this is where the clock start, strikes midnight and, and, and Cinderella's carriage turns into a pumpkin and, and the slipper doesn't fit. Uh, it, and, and, and I gotta, if they were playing arguably the hottest team in the last three weeks in college basketball, last four weeks maybe, I think I would, I, I would probably pl- play them in this spot. But they, they are running into arguably the team that looks maybe better than everybody right now. I mean, from a wagering standpoint, St. Peter's to cover, I think, is solid. Uh, that half point I think, is driving me nuts, though. That half point is it's sick. That's a sick half point right there. Yeah, that's mean. That's mean stuff. But, yeah, I mean, North Carolina, Armando Baycott, taking down UCLA, taking down Baylor, those, those are obviously – blue well UCLA is probably the biggest blue blood but you know Baylor defending champions you can't discount them it's it's North Carolina they're going to find a way I mean they're going to find a way to win that's what I think I I will be rooting for St. Peter's and the Peacocks and Coach Holloway to get it done but like I said I I think there's just not enough firepower there they're not going to be able to stop guys like Baycott inside and that's going to be the difference is there is there a is there one is there any way that a duke st peters matchup would be a higher rated game than a duke north carolina one more time matchup in in, in march madness 
Ooh, that's that's an excellent question. I would say yes because really you know, a 15 seed. I mean, seriously, a 15 seed has never made the Final Four. I mean, this would be a historical precedent. You got Coach K in his last run as swan song coming out here, and then you got you got the Peacocks that that, that you know play in a high school. It's, it's probably that's probably a great point. It probably brings in the casual fan to make them watch and say, because who, who doesn't love a great underdog story, right? I mean, and that's almost probably as underdog ultimate as you get oh absolutely no they're they're america's team right now (laughs) st peter's is america's team of college basketball (laughs) we'll see what happens in the tournament let's take our first break here on the sports queue make sure you guys check us out hit that subscribe and follow us listen hit the subscribe on spotify and apple podcast be right back Rudy's Metals in Sacramento, California is your one stop for all your metal needs. It's your metal recycling center. Copper, brass, aluminum, steel, tin, and much, much more. You can call them today at 916-912-0487. They're located at 750 Richards Boulevard in Sacramento, California. If you are on the West Coast, Rudy's Metals is your spot. You can get cash for your metals today. Check out rudysmetals.com. Back with segment number two, we're going to shift gears a touch. We touched on it a little bit here with Sean Watson, but this goes more to my point, Mike, and uh, CG with Texas Mike, by the way, here on the Sports Queue. Trades, free agency, NFL, they find the way to stay in the headlines 365 days of the year. They're always continuing to, during the offseason, stay at the top of everybody's mind, or the front of everybody's mind, I should say. The quarterback has never been more powerful than right now in this league. The contracts you're seeing, the paydays that these guys are getting, and I've talked to some people about this. The formula right now in the NFL to me, draft well, find a rookie quarterback that's got the goods. Once you've found that quarterback that's got that he is the guy, you build around that guy, start getting all the talent you can get, Start picking different teams, spending the money because you're paying your quarterback on a rookie deal. Win a Super Bowl, pay your quarterback, and then you got your quarterback for a decade, and now we're going to try and figure everything else out. The Chargers are doing it. You're seeing it with Justin Herbert. You saw it a little bit with Josh Allen, although he got his big deal. Patrick Mahomes, you saw it. When the quarterback shows he's got that that. I'm going to say moxie again here for the second time on the show. When he shows that he's got that ability, it allows you to do so many other things to your franchise and put you in a position to win a Super Bowl. Because it seems like it's, it's, it, you know, I've talked to some of my friends, the rebuild, it's hard to say rebuild in the NFL. I, I just think it is. I think it's how soon can we get to the Super Bowl? I, I don't think that you have as long a time to be able to try and figure things out, you know? Who's this guy? Who's that guy? And I've said this, and it would never happen, I don't think. I would draft a quarterback every single year until I found the guy. Once you find the guy, then you can figure everything else out. And and I probably, I might have even heard that somewhere before, but it's true. I mean, go and find that player and you can figure out everything else then then you can find all the other things we've talked about the quarterback draft class a little bit being down a little bit you're seeing a ton of moves you're seeing a lot of movement let's talk about well how about we start with this not a trade tom brady decides he's going to come back took some time off took a month off he's not done there's more in the tank now he's coming back um why Oh, you know he wanted to play all along. That was Giselle that would basically shut him down. I think, you know, he got through the season. He was a little bit disappointed with the result. You know, that was a team that I figured was going to get all the way back. That didn't happen. And, and Tom, I mean, he's about it, man. I mean, I mean, he's the GOAT. We could go on and on about him. I think his heart was always to this plan that he's going to play at least a couple more years. And, you know, sometimes you got to step back and evaluate yourself and you're Tom Brady. You're like, look, I'm healthy. I'm good. I haven't had any catastrophic injuries in a long time. I can play with my kids. I can enjoy that aspect of my life. But at the end of the day, there's only so much time he can play football. And he he's right now on the top of his game. Why would he walk away? 
I didn't think he was going to stay retired. I think that was more of a family situation that they just wanted to be with him and and and, and have these moments. Is it the alpha in him that says, I'm not going to end on a loss? Absolutely. Absolutely. Especially the season he had, too. It's, it's not like he's fading. <laughs> he's playing out. I mean, this, this statistically was one of his top three seasons, if I, if I believe correctly. And we're going to talk about some of the moves and whatnot, but how weak has the NFC become based off of what the AFC has done in this offseason? Oh, the NFC is a joke. I mean, I'm sorry, like coming out of the AFC, that, that's what I was saying with the Texans. It's going to be a little while. And there's a reason. <laughs> the war chests on some of these teams – it's crazy. I mean, we can go through these trades. I mean, the, the AFC West makes me want to drink now. I mean, it, it's like I, I, the Raiders are the worst team in probably on paper in that division. And I, you may upset Raiders fans by saying that, but I mean, my goodness, we, we've now got a division with Russell Wilson, Justin Herbert, Patrick Mahomes, Derek Carr. Uh, if, if, if you're talking to a Chiefs fan here, I think one of those is not quite like the other, but, <laughs> but, <laughs> but look, when you, when you look at the moves that they've made, Devonte, let's talk about that move. Aaron Rodgers signs a big deal. He gets a ton of money. He gets a full commitment to Green Bay. And what does Green Bay do in that scenario? Now, all of a sudden we're shipping all of his receivers right out of town to other teams they may not have had a choice with Devonte adams this this seemed like to me a case of Devonte said look you just paid paid him an exorbitant amount of money i am his number one receiver i want to make an exorbitant amount of money football is it's a the, your 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 career span is short you're not you, you're, we're not all tom brady you can't play 25 years in the nfl Devonte adams wanted to go get paid he gets paid Changes locations, reunites. It's the Fresno State Raiders, right? As far as their quarterback receiver connection. But uh, talk about the Defonte Adams move, where you stand on that one, the first one. It's perplexing from the Packers' perspective that you would not make maybe more of an effort to get Devontae Adams, especially when you consider the fact that Aaron Rodgers has said publicly, this is the best receiver I've ever played with, and that their chemistry is off the charts but you know let, let's go through the compensation so the packers are receiving a 2022 first rounder a 2022 second rounder well you've just paid aaron Rodgers, the sun the moon and the stars and now i mean sometimes i always thought that the packers general management was amongst the best but i i don't see it here i, I give them a pretty low grade i give the raiders obviously an a because you're right Get the Fresno State Bulldogs. You got Carr. You, you, you know, they shoot up the ranks. And you're right. It, it's the AFC West right now is so stacked. Almost any team out of it could at least make a run to the AFC Championship. And it's I gonna, it's, that about. It's, it's going to be an absolute gauntlet. They're going to beat the crap out of each other, which I don't like. I, as a Chiefs fan, I don't, I don't like that they're going to have to play these teams twice each year. The Raiders. I, I poke fun at them a little bit for Derek Carr, but look, he's got weapons. He's got Darren Waller. He didn't go anywhere. Hunter Renfro is not going anywhere. He made the Pro Bowl. Devontae Adams is now going to play, you, you know, you're outside. Can, Der can Derek Carr give Devontae Adams the same type of production that we were seeing with Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay? Well, no, I, I don't think Devontae is going to be quite that productive. And you're right. I mean, Waller takes up so many so many shares of the of, of the targets i mean you, you have to feed him the ball he's kind of a freak too i, I like how renfro will compliment him because renfro is so shifty in the slot he can get open pretty easily and that's going to free up Devonte. but the car is not aaron Rodgers. aaron Rodgers is one of the best of all time and, and there's going to be a fall off and remember josh mcdaniels is the head coach now for vegas so this is this feels like you know, we, we make comparisons and you take a look at the rosters. Renfro feels like Welker. Yes. Devontae would feel like Randy Moss. Darren Waller would feel like Gronk. And that's it. You know, you have the players in place. I think you're going to see, I think it affects a guy like Josh Jacobs. I, I think it changes the running back position pretty significantly. I think you're going to see that type of four-headed monster kind of thing as far as the running backs and guys that do different things and really limiting some of the carries. So if you're taking a look at fantasy, I think that hurts him pretty dramatically. 
I, I don't see Josh Jay. I mean, you can you can talk about New England running backs. Their shelf life was maybe whoever was the hottest guy at the time. That's the guy. You know, let's ride the hot hand. But that did not continue on a year to year basis. They've got the head coach they want. It seems like they're going to try and build a quote unquote Patriots way. And now you get Devontae Adams, who is going to be better than, you know, based off of the situation that they went through with, you know, Henry Ruggs now off the team and, and dealing with whatever he's going to have to deal with. Now you've brought in arguably one of the top three receivers, top five receivers in the NFL. If not, maybe the, the top one, if, if, depending on how you look at it. You know, it, it's it's solid moves. Now we shift over to Denver, and Russell Wilson is now going to make that move. Russell Wilson's got some weapons. Some of his weapons also left. <laughs> you know, they weren't able to keep everybody. Um, that one seems like the the kind of unknown. That one feels like you're not quite sure how this is going to go. Because they have made some moves. They've definitely made some moves. They're shoring up the defense. You know, they, what are they at? Randy Gregory on the other side that's going to be there with Bradley Chubb. You know, they want to get to the quarterback because there's going to be significant ones in the division. And they want to, you know, bring in a quarterback that is leaps and bounds better than Drew Locke or Teddy Bridgewater. Russell Wilson is that guy. Um, what do you think about that move, Russell Wilson? You know, I absolutely love it. You brought up something earlier that I agree with. You know, the window's short for teams to make a run. You know, just the nature of the contracts, the nature of how the NFL salary cap works. You, you don't have a lot of time. And, and, and Denver has a type of defense that you can make the run. And Russell Wilson has been in that situation in Seattle before with a dominant defense and him being more of the focal point of the offense. He can carry you to all the way. So I, I don't think that's going to happen in Denver. But, you know, at, at the end of the day, it's a huge upgrade, obviously. Russell Wilson is a champion. He's a very good quarterback. He can be a little bit cheesy and annoying, but he's still a good player. Aren't we all? Aren't we all a little cheesy and annoying at some point in our life? I know I am. <laughs> okay. Uh, I've been avoiding this topic, but let's, let's go there. Tyreek, in, in a surprise move, uh, is now headed back home to Miami. That shouldn't make anybody in Miami nervous when a guy's like, happening back home, I'm ready, here we go, let's all party and hang out, and and uh, I, I'm, I'm $150, $160 million richer. Look, Tyreek Hill was was excellent for the Chiefs. There's, there's no doubt about it. I think that this seemed like a move, though, where – and, and I've said, you know, you can't pay everybody on the team. You just can't. You can't You can't give Patrick Mahomes $500 million and expect that you're going to be able to keep all of the really top-tier weapons at a bargain price on the team. Now, what I will say Tom Brady has done very well is Tom Brady knew how to play the contracts. Tom Brady knew how to take a little bit less money to make sure that he was able to surround himself with that talent to win. I mean, that's why he's the ultimate winner in this sport of, of NFL football. The guy knew he was driven by winning. Money's great, of course. Everyone wants to make money. But the guy knew how to take a little bit less money, still getting what he needed, and then making sure that they were able to get the guys to surround him. Could they have ended up paying Tyreek? I have no idea. Kelsey, you knew, is not going to go anywhere. Kelsey and Mahomes are, are like this probably for their entire career. I, I can't imagine Kelsey ever plays in a different uniform. It's possible. But Tyreek was a guy that I could see going somewhere else because you can get it, – it's somebody's going to be exposed. Either Tyreek is going to be exposed or Mahomes is going to be exposed. And it's going to really come down to that. Or maybe neither one of them do. Maybe they both flourish and, and with what without the other. Um, to me, I think – I think Mahomes is going to be okay in this situation. I think he knows how to get the ball to different players. And I think that we can find and draft players correctly and do it well. We'll see how it pans out. Um, do you love this move for Miami in getting Tyreek? Well, absolutely. I mean, if you're going to go all in on Tua, which they seem to be doing, Tua excels at those kind of short, quick hitter routes, the type of stuff where Tyreek and his Olympic caliber speed can exploit. So 
Yeah, I mean, the Dolphins, you got to give that an A from their perspective. It, it but, is. but where does it put Jalen Waddell? Because Jalen Waddell has been a, you know, he's going to catch a ton of balls. He's going to he's gonna run over the middle. You can only run so many slants. You know, you can't have, you know, Gesicki running a slant and then Waddell's going to run a slant and a cross. And, you know, you, rub some, you run some rubs right over the middle uh, and, and try to, you know, cross everybody up you're going to stay on the perimeter too is going to, like you said, maybe start rolling out and getting some quick hitter plays. Um, but are Waddle and Hill very similar in their style to where there could be a concern as far as who the big target is going to be? Well, yeah, the best attribute of both those players is their ridiculous speed. But I, I think a creative offensive mind can, can scheme around it because it's not like Tyreek can't go deep, right? The same thing with Jalen Waddle. Can Tua get him the ball deep the same well, way Mahomes did? That's the multi-million dollar question. I, I've never been a big fan of Tua. I, I, I think it might be folly to kind of build this regime around him. I, I just don't think he's a very good quarterback yet. I could be proven wrong this season. You know, he did take some developmental strides, but I don't think he's the guy that's going to win you a Super Bowl one day. I, I don't believe that. So what does Miami do then with all of these players, with all of that talent? You still need the quarterback. Where where do you find that? What do you do? How do you find the right guy then? Because he's got arguably the most weapons of any team right now. I mean, he is loaded with top-tier playmakers surrounding him. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be one of those where <laughs> – They've given up a lot of draft capital, right? Obviously, to make this trade, they've had a lot of draft capital. So I think at some point, if Tua washes out, they try to make a splash trade. Maybe they try to flip one of their assets and get in a quarterback because you're not going to get to the Super Bowl out of the AFC as it's currently constructed unless you have an excellent quarterback, a proven pedigree guy. And that's not Tua at this point. Did the Chargers do this in response to what the Rams did in their season? They're both playing in L.A. The Chargers are making some huge moves. They're arguably going to have probably the quote-unquote sexier team on the field now with all the big names that they're signing. Where do the Chargers end up in this equation? Well, it's a war of attrition in, in that division. Uh, I like Herbert a lot. And, I, and and mind you, and mind you, I didn't want to cover. I don't want to only cover the AFC West, but it's it just the fact the AFC West. They've been maybe they've been making the moves left and right. I mean, that's been where all the most of the action has been. No, I mean the absolute power in the NFL right now. If you're if you're going to power rank every single division, I mean the AFC West is stupid good. I mean, it, it, it might be one of the best divisions of all time. I mean, we'll see how that plays out during the regular season, but just based on roster talent based on what they have done recently that's it, it's going to be crazy it, it's it's going to be a battle every single week it, it's going to be a fun season but the moves for the chargers you've seen this like i said justin herbert maintains his rookie deal so you don't have to pay the quarterback now you can go and get a khalil mack you can go and get some of these big names how is this going to pan out for the chargers on their progression brandon staley back you know what what is that going to be like for them well, a lot of their problems seem to stem from blowing leads late and not really having the defense to close somebody out. I didn't see, you know, Herbert and his cast as an issue. I think Herbert's the type of guy that he elevates other players. So, you know, Khalil Mack, I mean, he's a monster. He, he's been one of my favorite defensive players since he came out of the league out of Buffalo as a number two pick. And, you know, it doesn't change. I mean, when he was in Chicago, he, he was the spearhead of that defense. And he's going to be the same thing for them. It's just going to be a question of, how many of the games are they going to win? I mean, could they be a 500 team potentially? Is Matt Ryan going to be able to put the Indianapolis Colts now over the top as they get Matt Ryan, they secure that deal that he gets out of Atlanta, gets to a very quality team with a very strong defense and a top tier running back. What's Indianapolis going to look like? Well, AFC South is extremely weak right now. So Matty Ice is a, is a solid upgrade over over Pennsylvania back in the day. So it's, I think it's a good move. I, I think he will elevate them. It wouldn't shock me if the Colts won the division. I, I would probably say, you know, at this point, maybe, maybe they're the favorite. I mean, we, we could look at those odds, but uh, he definitely elevates their stature. 
before we move over to the NFC, talking about the Cincinnati Bengals and what they've done for your boy, Joey Burrow. Uh, they're getting him linemen. They're, they're doing what they want to do is to protect him. Uh, are they getting continually better now? And again, same thing, rookie deal quarterback. You figured it out. You got the right guy. Now you can make all those moves. Yeah, I mean, the Bengals, they're, they're doing it the right way. They're building it through the draft. They're absolutely killing it. Uh, you know, that when that's your strength, you don't give up the capital and, and keep going to it. Keep building around Burrow and Chase. I mean, you have, you have a magical connection there. I mean, you, you saw that, Ron. It, it was something to behold. You know, if they can get the line solidified through the draft, which is the easiest way to improve a line, I'm a big believer in that. If you can stack some some early round picks, you know, maybe not first round, but maybe a second, third, third and fourth in that range, get some better, get some help on the offensive line, get some, some more talent over there and make it more of a comfortable situation because they have the weapons and, you know, they have a pretty good defense too. Biggest story coming in at NFC East so far? <laughs> The commanders have a new quarterback in Carson Wentz. Uh, what do we think there? Uh, Carson now moves over to Washington. Uh, that's a team that, again, they continue to try and find their quarterback. They continue to find the right guy. Is Carson going to be that guy for them? No, I give this trade an F, Chris. Carson Wentz is terrible at this point. I don't put it this way. If Frank Reich could not salvage him, then who can? I mean, he's the one who built him up originally. I think the I think the only thing, and not to cut you, I think the only thing is the frustration from the franchise that you could hear in their voices after that last game. I, it, it was almost like they had given up, and that is what affected my view on Carson and where he was the most. Well, you know, I mean, being a former quarterback, like if you lose the locker room and your team doesn't believe in you anymore, that's probably what happened. You have to you have to move on. Either that guy's gone and he's somewhere else or you're bringing in somebody else and you're talking to him about being a backup and that's unhealthy anyway. And you want to talk about like the worst, like rebranding of all time with the Washington commanders and their logo. I'm just so disappointed that after two years that that Jersey set and logo, what it looks like. So I I'm just going totally against it. I've never been a fan of Dan Snyder. I've never been a fan of the Washington franchise. So to watch them tumble down the ranks even further in the NFC East is, I like it. <laughs> Aaron Rodgers, he might be throwing to guys like you and me, but uh, they seem like th they're still there. I mean, they, they seem like they're they are still the squad here, team to beat there in the uh, NFC North. Yeah, I, I agree with that statement. I mean, you know, <laughs> he's like the tie. He raises all boats, right? Like you, you get anybody in there that he can he can work with and develop some chemistry in the scheme they run and what their versatility is. I, I don't see the Packers falling back down. Like I said, this, some of the moves are a little bit strange based on, well, you know, Aaron Rodgers' window is not forever, but he's still at his peak. So, but the division overall, I mean, the Lions – you know, they made some progress, but, you know, Goff, I mean, come on, he's not the guy. Um, he, he may be the guy this year, but, you know, that, let's talk about Bryce Young sweepstakes. That's probably either Houston or Detroit, I was going to say, is going to be my early favorites for Bryce Young in the 2024, uh, 2023 draft. Taking a look at the NFC South, obviously Tom Brady back in that division. Uh, they're going to be tough. New Orleans seems like they're in a quote-unquote rebuild, I guess. Carolina tried everything they could to, to to figure out their QB situation. That hasn't really panned out. And Atlanta, Marcus Mariota is now going to take over the reins. So uh, how many losses is Tampa looking at right now? Two, three? <laughs> Inner division, maybe one. <laughs> yeah. I think they roll through everybody. I mean, you know, speaking of Deshaun earlier, Carolina made a pretty heavy run to try to get him. And that fell apart. And, and, you know, you got several franchises that are just in a rebuild Atlanta, same thing. They've turned the page from Matty ice and now, now they got to figure out what's next. They, they don't have a ton of talent. They're not very good. The saints they're middling at this point. You know, you got Taysom Hill, you got that situation there. It's it's it, for the bucks. It's a division that they can completely dominate. And, and <laughs> based on maybe strength of schedule, they might be the favorite for the number one seed, which we know in this new updated playoff format, that one buy, that can really help you get your players healthy. 
NFC West close things out. Rams should be in a good position. I guess the biggest question is going to be which AFC team is Kyler Murray going to end up playing on, or is he just going to leave altogether and go to play baseball? I don't believe he's going to go play baseball. I mean, Kyler Murray, I'm sorry. This antics with Arizona. There's things just, there's weird stuff coming out as far as his his persona and kind of his locker room, uh, you know, how, how he handles the locker room and how he's been playing. I, it, 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 Arizona was a really great story to start the season. They really fizzled towards the end of the year, though. They totally fizzled. And, you know, speaking of Kyler Murray, I, I think he's an example of a little bit of the over pampered modern athlete. You know, let's look at his background. So he, is the all-time winningest quarterback in high school football out of Allen High School north of Dallas. He goes rolls over there. He, he, he comes to Texas A&M. He's kind of a flop. We know what he did at Oklahoma. He, he elevated his stock. He's had a good career to start. You know, he was Kingsbury's, you know, hand-picked franchise quarterback, the guy that he wanted more than anything. You know, they, they, they moved on from Josh Rosen in about five seconds, you know, when they got him. And now he's facing adversity, true adversity in his career for the first time. And he's just looking like a little whiny baby. I'm sorry. You know, I, I see this stuff coming out. It's like, sometimes you just want to be like, Hey, just shut up and play, man. You know, you know, pull up your bootstraps and, and go to work. And, and you got the type of guys over there that you can, you got D hop. I mean, it's, I don't know. All this talk about baseball. Kyler Murray's not going to make it baseball. Uh, I'll take a wager on that right now. But the, pro- the the problem with the whole path of getting a rookie quarterback and being able to build around is if these rookie quarterbacks start saying, I want my deal now. I've shown you that I'm skilled. And now I'm going to start holding out second or third year. And I'm going to be like, it, it, I mean... You know, if that starts happening, Chris, what's going to happen is the NFL is going to have to go to some positions or some things of guaranteed contracts. I think that's the only way. But, I mean, you get signed that rookie deal. You're the number one pick in his case. You're greatly compensated. You're getting endorsements. It can't be a money issue or a respect issue. It's like, hey, Kyler, what have you done in the playoffs? Please tell me. Yeah, uh, we'll we'll see, have to see what happens. It's an interesting way to take a look at it. The NFL continues to stay in the in, in the headlines. They always do it. They seem to do it every single year. The AFC, those ticket prices are going to be through the roof. It'll be interesting to see what happens with the NFC. Sneaky team in the NFC, and not just because I'm in Philly. The Eagles are going to be a sneaky team because they're not, they're going to have a, a lot of the very same kind of players. And what seems like it'll be a weak conference really in the nfc so we'll see what happens there let's take a break we'll go into our third segment here as we start talking about something that i am absolutely not good at we'll talk about that in just a moment rudy's metals in sacramento california is your one stop for all your metal needs it's your metal recycling center copper brass aluminum steel tin and much much more you can call them today at 916-912-0487 they're located at 750 richards boulevard in sacramento california if you are on the west coast rudy's metals is your spot you can get cash for your metals today check out rudysmetals.com all right, here we go with segment number three as we get into our third and final segment here on the Sports Q Texas Mike CG one more time as we've had a great show so far. Hopefully you're taking a listen, checking it all out. Okay, something I'm not good at. I, 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 I suck at this, man. It's just, it's too much to watch. I think it's just too much going on. I think it's just, I, I think it's, <laughs> I, don't, I don't even know how to describe the fantasy football. I'm decent. Fantasy basketball, I don't even pay attention. I, I, I did catch a, a, a basketball game and watch the Sixers. Fantasy baseball, it might as well be hieroglyphics, man. Like, I don't – the, the way that the percentages are, the way that guys move up and down, how you're supposed to draft. So you are the 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 czar. You are the guru here in this, this whole world of fantasy baseball. So now you're going to tell me all the secrets on how to win, clearly, on this podcast. But yeah, no, no, we get into fantasy baseball. You start talking about some of these players, and we'll talk about some of the players that you look at and, and value and, and some of the players that you like because you, you are, you've been doing this longer. I'll say that. But you're just more skilled in this area and this, this type of arena. 
And then also to the listeners out there, helping them figure out how they should be drafting and taking a look at their fantasy baseball drafts as well. So I suck at this thing. I'm not good at fantasy baseball. Hopefully I'm talking myself right into the winner's circle here this season because uh, I'm going to I'm going to give it one more go. I'm, I'm going to possibly be a seller. I will say I don't pack it in for the most part. Now you start getting the last month of the season, you got no chance, whatever. I, I don't need to I don't need to keep really paying attention to my team. But fantasy baseball. Take it away, Texas Mike, on on the whole 10-minute um, version of fantasy baseball. <laughs> well, Chris, I mean, you're a beloved member of Kelly Leak's Revenge now hitting into its 13th season, and yours truly a six-time champion is a pretty formidable opponent. So I, I see your trepidation of wanting to – maybe pack it in at the end of the season, but I don't know what it says about me. Maybe I'm neurotic or something about that, that I love checking. I love the old school Roto format. I don't play daily fantasy baseball unless I I'm attending a game and just throwing a lineup for the heck of it. I, I'm a big fan of the season long format, the traditional, you know, five V five Roto, which has been promulgated, I guess, since the eighties. Uh, I've seen other approaches where people like to have the more analytics, more modern version, maybe on base percentage instead of batting average. I just like the old school stuff because I was one of those kids, like a lot of people that love the baseball cards and love the box scores. And, you know, one thing I miss from, I guess, yesteryear is just getting that Sunday paper and having all the box scores and the league leaders. And, you know, obviously we have that all in digital formats, but it was just something about, you know, being a kid and opening up that paper and seeing the box scores. But, you know, look, looking at the season in fantasy baseball, you, your draft is critical. You know, we, we have our draft here on April 6th for our league right before opening day, you know, anybody that's a commissioner and playing these leagues, I would always suggest that because injuries, closer changes, things like that. Uh, You know, looking at it down the line, like players that I really like, I'm going to give you some Homer picks guys that I think are really going to bounce, bounce up for this season. Alex Bregman, Alex Bregman, third baseman Astros. I, I, I think he's gonna get his power stroke back. He, he just, he seems like he's in a good place in his life, you know, following him here in Houston, you know, he's, he, he's about to have a child. He, he, he's embracing family life. He looks extremely fit, you know, he looks happy. So that's one guy I really like. Another guy that I like to, to target as well on the Astros a little later in the draft is the batting average savant, uncle Mike, Michael Brantley. He's, he's just so solid and smooth. He's gotten over those injury woes that plagued him early in his career, and he's another guy that I'll be targeting. For, for okay, a- let me let me cut you off before we move on. What is the Correa move going to do to this lineup, though, and how does that affect fantasy? Well, it'll be interesting because they're not going to move Alex Bregman to shortstop like people thought. So there's a particular guy named Jeremy Pena who is, quote, the future of the Houston Astros at shortstop. And apparently post-lockout, which I found surprising, and I don't know if you knew this, the Astros did not make any other offer to Correa despite him asking for another offer, which I found surprising. I guess maybe they didn't want to go through this drama every single year with Carlos and say, okay, you know, is this the year you get the big – you know, 10-year deal that you're seeking because his injury history says you can't do it. But personally, I I don't know yet. You know, the jury's still out. I, I believe a lot in the Astros front office. The thing that Carlos really took over the last couple of years, he became truly the leader of, of, of the franchise in the clubhouse. And, you know, he, he had the bat to back it up last year. So, I think that's going to raise the twins. It's going to be interesting. You know, obviously when you lose a player of that caliber, the Astros are going to have a little bit of fallback, but what they've shown, you know, since 2015, essentially, which is a pretty solid run that they, they know what they're doing. So I, I'm, I'm going to say, you know, and click, we trust. <laughs> and then, so you start talking about some of the other players then from a everyday hitters, position players, who else you got on that list? Players that, that, that I, I think are, are, are due for a big turnaround. Another guy that I like is Houston Connections, Lamar High School, and Rice, Anthony Rendon out there in California for the Angels. I, I mean, he, he's been a masher since 
he was 14 years old and he's been a masher, you know, 2019, he had an excellent season. I mean, it's, it's one of those situations where it's, it's only been injuries that's held him back. And, you know, angels have a little bit of bad luck with that, but I, I, I like him to bounce back. Another guy with Astros connections that you'll like that I'll be targeting these drafts is Charlie Morton, Charlie Morton. He's an old man, but he strikes out a lot of people. He plays for the World Series champion Braves, and he can. I, I don't think he's done. He's a top twenty starting pitcher right now in fantasy. Is it the boom categories for fantasy baseball drafts? I mean, we're talking home runs, we're talking strikeouts, we're talking all of the big categories from a day to day pitcher standpoint. Uh, is it all the sexy categories, or are you saying you can't ignore stolen bases, um, walks? Uh, average whip, you know, where, where are we at on some of the, the stats that maybe people don't, you know, you don't see on the highlight reels, so to speak. Stolen base is a little bit interesting in the modern dynamic. I mean, we, we've seen in baseball that the number of stolen bases has decreased substantially. You know, obviously there is a money ball risk element that a lot of managers and front offices don't exactly like. So I think in any, fantasy draft scenario you've got to at least be targeting one guy that you know is going to be in the top six in stolen bases you know when, when you look at the saves category obviously accumulating closers is something that is important but here's the reality half the closers in any given season lose their damn jobs either via trade or ineffectiveness so one thing that I excel at, like I said, the neuroticism of this is getting on the waiver wire and figuring out who that guy is so I can continue to build saves cheaply. Uh, you know, whip, you know, I, I'm a big believer from a draft strategy perspective, especially in a five by five roto traditional format that you don't go pitchers too early because they're unpredictable and sometimes their arm just falls off. But if you don't have two stud pitchers, it's going to be pretty hard to piece that together. You might get lucky and get somebody late that catches fire. And that's more of my strategy. If I, I'm going to look at this first third of the draft, I'm going best available bats for the most part, unless I can get a pitcher that I really believe is going to kill it. And then later on, I start to fill in these other things. I, you know, when you look at the catcher position, to me, unless you, I mean, that's almost like a throwaway for me. You, you see me every single year picking a catcher last. When injuries happen to your players, do you have to have somebody ready to fill that role immediately from a fantasy baseball perspective? Or can you make up those points somewhere else on your team? You, you know, and our, our league is, is very competitive in the sense that the waiver wire is pretty combed over. You know, you need, you need to be able to kind of supplement your weaknesses throughout the season. I mean, it's a long grind as we've talked about on here, you know, you have to try to correlate up and look at the smaller sample sizes early on, but not get too carried away with them. And honestly, the time to pull trades is not at the deadline. That can happen, obviously, to make the run. I've done it several times. Other members of our league have. The scumbags are, are legendary for pulling some, some good trade minute, last-minute trade uh, acquisitions. But what you got to sometimes see early is, hey, uh, let's say you draft a guy that I really covet early on. I might try to make that trade with you in the first month of the season. If I really think that guy's going to blow up and I see a weakness with you because – at the end of the day, you can't get everybody you want, but it, I, I, I like to target certain guys. I, I probably have a roster already in my head before I even start. Some of the folks in your league or some of the listeners out there that will be looking at drafts, you don't have to answer this if you don't want to, but here we go. Two players that are going to be very highly rated that you think are going to be absolute busts from a fantasy standpoint or could be in trouble. I shouldn't say bust, but could be in trouble. There could be some warning signs, red flags that they may not live up to the numbers that they may be projected to get. Oh, number one, I mean, this might be blasphemy in a lot of circles. And this is a guy that when I picked him up, he was playing in double A, Mike Trout. Mike Trout, his 
the last three seasons, despite his immense talent being a modern day Mickey Mantle, except for the switch hitting ability, obviously he's a right bat only. He gets injured and he doesn't steal bases anymore. When I was dominating the league, when I had Mike Trout as my keeper, he was stealing bags. He was hitting 320. He was hitting 40 home runs and he was playing 150 games. And now he's oft injured, thumb, this, that. And Mike Trout, the name speaks for itself, is going to be highly drafted, but that's not somebody I'm going to be targeting. Wow. I mean, that's strong. That's a strong name to throw out there. Uh, great insight on that. Is there a pitcher out there that fits that category as well? Pitchers is a little tougher, but okay. Let's take a look at Blake Snell. You're looking at him in San Diego, very favorable, high strikeout guy, but he can, he can get a little off kilter. I, 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 I get it. Like, he, he's not Jacob deGrom in ERA or whip. Jacob deGrom is the best pitcher in fantasy baseball, but Snell, some people put him in that kind of next category because I, I don't get it. And plus when he talks, sometimes he seems a little foolish. <laughs> and then lastly, and you don't have to answer who it is. Have you honed in on, who the biggest sleeper is that you've you've got this sleeper right at the top of your list. You do have this guy in your mind. Ooh, that's that's I, ha I haven't gotten there in my research yet, to be you honest. You haven't. Okay. I, I, I haven't. That's something we'll do, have do you do you have the ability to find that guy? Yeah, and, I, and I'll tell you the type of guy I'm looking for, and this will kind of help our listeners as as they target their drafts is I'm looking for a guy that maybe is not a rookie or a second year, somebody that's young or somebody that might be called up early. I mean, one of the best draft moves I ever pulled was picking up Fernando Tatis Jr. in the last round of the draft, thinking not that he was going to be on the opening day roster, which that season of his rookie year he ended up being, that he would be called up fairly quickly and it ended up being serendipitous, right? Now, he, until this injury, obviously, you know, he was my best player pretty amazing to see what's going to happen i can guarantee you that i'm going to make some really poor decisions i'll probably uh draft mike trout first even based off of listening to this conversation i'll, I'll say mike trout is <laughs> how do you not draft mac mike trout it's it's tough it's a slippery slope though because then you look foolish if you didn't take mike trout if he blows up, but his injury history says yes. I mean, it, it, it's buyer beware in that in that scenario. I, I'm not going to laugh at anybody for drafting Mike Trout. Mike Trout is actually one of my favorite players in baseball, but yeah. he's just not he, he's not there anymore. I'm I'm sorry. As far as his output, you're talking season long. We'll you only really play happens. 105 games. That's not going to help you. Game. We will see what happens with the champ and the seller dweller here in the fantasy baseball. We'll take a look at uh, how everybody's doing. We'll probably keep notes on it, keep tabs on it throughout the season, but really looking forward to that. Mike, another show is down. The 21st uh, episode for us. What say you as far as a final word as we get out of here? Like one, one, one final thought. You always got to have that final thought. And I, I, I got to think you've got this one this week. Got to give a shout out to North Macedonia for pulling one of the biggest upsets and World Cup qualifying, taking down the mighty Italians, the European champions. What an upset, 1-0, and eliminating Italy. It's crazy to think that there'll be a World Cup again without Italy, but here we are, 2022. Unbelievable. We'll catch you guys next time here on the Sports Cube. Texas Mike CG, hit that subscribe, follow us, and we'll talk to you guys next time.